You're listening to Sci-Fi TV Rewatch, episode 506. My name's Dave, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Wayne, as we're going to discuss the Fox series Fringe. And things are picking up in Fringe, for sure. Not that, you know, it was ever right. <laughs> fallen too far by the wayside. Although, you know, we I think we all have our issues with too many Monster of the Week episodes. But, uh, you know, whatever. Yeah, well, I mean, they... Yeah, they brought us back a little bit. You know, it seemed, as Fred will say, you know, monster of the week, kid of the week, yeah, same. Uh, but um, you know, that they they, uh, they brought us back at the end, at least, to you know the pattern and and this, and of course, massive dynamics, sketchiness, and everything. Yeah. yeah, well, you know, did they bring us back to the pattern? Well, we'll talk about that obviously in a few minutes. Um, well, I just it, it seemed as related because at the beginning, at the you know. Previously on Fringe, it was just all stuff about the pattern. True. Well, that's true. So I guess that's where I I base that decision off of. There's no spoilers here, Dave. I'm just basing (laughs) that decision on them being so heavy about the pattern in the the previous stuff. And then um, then at the end, I just figured, okay. And uh, honestly, every week we've been questioning whether this is – involved with the pattern or not you know so all right well want to remind everybody we typically record either monday or tuesday so any feedback's got to be in by sunday night eastern standard time want to thank our patreon supporters fred mike cindy mark travis richard alan and suzanne thank you guys and and you know everybody else that that listens on a week-to-week basis want to certainly thank you sci-fi tv rewatch at gmail.com is the way you can reach us with feedback questions comments whatever so um you know from time to time and i guess we haven't really been that consistent with it but we address the saturn awards which are you know the genre uh, organization that hands out awards in you know in in our field sci-fi fantasy supernatural and horror and they have all different categories for films and TV. We generally stick with TV. And I just want to address a couple categories from the 2022 awards, which uh, came out not too long ago. And, and the first two I'm, we'll talk about tonight, Best Science Fiction Television Series. So I'm going to read you the nominees, and then okay. you tell me the winner. All right, gotcha. All right. Superman and Lois. Okay. The Flash. The Man Who Fell to Earth, Resident Alien, Supergirl, and Westworld. Now, before you give me your answer, just these are shows that are on network or cable. Streaming services like Netflix have have their own category, and and we can address that later. So if you're if you're thinking like, whoa, WTF? What about? this show or that show so it, yeah well there's always like you know a bunch you would think. right but that's a different category so anyway well i would i would go with westworld mostly because that's the only one of those shows i've actually seen in the past year but yeah. the, how the flash how's the flash still working in there that show well, i mean i'm not saying it's not good but i mean i did stop watching it for a reason now, I would have said Westworld, too, but admittedly, like you, I haven't seen any recent Supergirls or recent Flash episodes, but we would both be wrong. The winner is Superman and Lois from the CW. All right. So, well, good for them. But that's yeah. like three CW shows. Right? Uh, yes, they're, you're right. Uh, one Showtime, one Sci-Fi, one HBO. So now the other category I want to bring up tonight is best fantasy television series. And the nominees are Stargirl, Riverdale, La Brea, Ghosts, Doctor Who, and Shining Veil. Now for this category again, uh, best fantasy television series. So you and I obviously have both seen Doctor Who. Sure. You've seen Ghosts, right? Yes. And I've seen La Brea. So I don't know. I doubt either of us has seen any of the other shows, but uh, based on uh, what we know. Well, I I like Ghosts a lot. I doubt it won, but that show is freaking hilarious. I mean, like me laughing out loud 
my family looking at me awkwardly almost every episode. So I'm going to go with Ghost. Yeah, well, it was Shining Veil, which is a show I don't... Yeah, I hadn't heard of it either. And, you know, it's one of those shows, as I've mentioned, it it just seems like I've got a lot of opportunities to watch something because my, you know, wife is doing something else. and, And it's like, oh, okay, I got an hour or two. Let's try something new and... So, you know, I can't even remember what the premise is now, but I did look it up and think, oh, that might be okay. Um, You know, I watch La Brea, and it's not great, but it's, I don't know. Compelling is not, Mm. you know, that's a bit too strong a word to use. But I like it. I'll keep going. So we'll check in with more series from the uh, Saturn Awards next time. But we do want to address, uh, is it fair to say, the elephant in the room about uh, sci-fi TV rewatch? Maybe like a baby elephant. Baby elephant. And Larger, it, yeah. And it's approached right, to spoilers, which uh, you know came up for discussion in the Facebook group. Sure. And it's something you and I have, have talked about from time to time. And you know we, we talk about, well, what's the statute of limitations? And obviously, with the state of television now, that's a difficult question to answer. Yes. And, and uh, I liked all the stuff that was said in, in the Facebook group. I pretty much agree with most of it. Um, you know, I, I do, I guess, kind of regret saying, I think you said time's up or something like that. I don't know. This might surprise people out there, but this show is unscripted. And so uh, sometimes uh, words get out of my mouth before my brain has a chance to really think about whether they should go or not. So I didn't really you know, think a, a whole heck of a lot about that when I made it. But, you know, I think we try to be pretty um, sensitive about spoiling. We've been called out on it before. And I feel bad when we do, right? Like, we don't, we, we're not like the type of person that's like, oh, I can't wait to tell you this. So, you know, like, no, we, we, we for the most part, you know, we try, I think, a very sensitive issue of spoiling and, and try not to say things that... You know, without, at least without warning, like if we know we're going to be talking about details that are going to be spoilerish, we give people warning ahead of time. Sometimes ones just uh, slip out, you know, and, and it doesn't mean like we are trying to do that and everything. And we do, at least I do. You know, I feel bad when it does that because I hate when it happens to me. But it's, you know, it's you're trying to walk that balance between talking about things and not just talking about Fringe. You know, we talk about other shows and everything and we want to talk about them, but we also... You know, we want to talk about the plots and everything, but we don't want to spoil it. So I think for the most part, I think probably like uh, Ryan McKenna in the outfield, like uh, 99% of the time, we're pretty good. But it's just that 1% when we drop an easy fly ball that, that uh, things go down, go bad for us. Yeah, well, you know, when we cover a show like Fringe, where both of us have seen the entire series and we're really conscious of not spoiling things and you know there have been times where you know i'll say to you or you'll say to me well wait a minute isn't that a spoiler and i'll say well i can edit that out and then you know we'll we'll discuss it so it it certainly is you know something that we're aware of and then of course shows that you know have you know aired in the past like dark angel that that neither of us had ever seen until we covered it for the podcast and and you know of course it was much easier to be spoiler free sure but i think in our defense and and i forget who who brings this up in in the facebook discussion as english teachers I, i mean we certainly stress the use of literary and cultural allusions in our students writing about literature or whatever it is they're writing about so do you say well you can't make that illusion because somebody might not have read or seen or whatever so it's you know it's a fine line and you know i think for us probably what will happen from time to time we will make an allusion to a book a movie a tv show and that might spoil something for somebody and right i don't know a way around it yeah it's i don't think as you said in with today's media and the way movies and, and television are i i feel like it's nearly impossible not to trip up every once in a while because you know 
unless we don't say anything about anything. Right. You know. Right. Um, and, uh, you know, what you brought up, I, I think there's also a, a case to be made with, like, certain things that have gone beyond the actual work that they're in and become, like, kind of iconic culturally. The identity of Rosebud, for example. Darth Vader's revelation to Luke. I mean, even if you haven't seen Citizen Kane or Empire Strikes Back, these are things you probably have heard of or know about, things that are referenced a lot. Now, is the scene in Tenet, has it reached that level of iconicism? Is that the word? Uh, Yeah, probably. I don't know. (laughs) Iconic status. Iconic. Has it reached that kind of iconic status? I would say maybe not, but it's close. You know, like when people think about Tenet, they talk about that scene, you know, beyond any other. If if you see something, if you see a clip from Tenet, you're going to see that scene. So I would low-key argue that that a, a, like that particular scene in Tenet is probably getting up there to that point where it's iconic beyond, because it's, it's such an example of like mastery of filmmaking and choreography and technique. I guarantee you, if you go to a film studies class in any university now, they're breaking down that scene. You know, again, I would, I would say that there are certain things that, that are spoilers, but also have entered the dialogue of pop culture beyond the, the work that they're in originally. All right, well, let's go ahead and leave it there. Um, okay. You know, you know I, I think the, the, the bottom line is... Yeah, we're we, 12 minutes in, right? We, we try to be careful. We'll continue to try to be careful, but, you know, anyway. Yeah. All right. And, you know, and it's good just to get a reminder every now and then, like, hey, guys, you know, just, you know, it's, it's something that, like I said, we try to be sensitive to it, and it's good to get that reminder every now and then that, you know, we need to try and be, you know, we can be more vigilant maybe about it and everything, and, you know, we will. So, all right, Fringe, episode seven, season two, titled Of Human Action, written by Robert Chiapetta and Glenn Whitman, who wrote uh, episode 14 of season one, titled Ability. That was the David Robert Jones episode where he mm-hmm. tests Olivia's ability to make those lights go out. Um, that was a great episode. That was awesome. Yeah. That was a really good one, yeah. Uh, directed by Joe Chappelle, who directed 204 Momentum Deferred. It aired November 12th, 2009. So a couple of quick points. Cameron Monaghan, the actor who plays Tyler, and I mistakenly put this in the uh, Facebook post for you know last week's podcast about, hey, did you recognize? Well, that was like one week too early. But uh, he plays Ian Gallagher on Shameless, which is a show I've seen episodes here and there. But, uh, you know, of course, he's a full-fledged adult now at this point, right. but but he's like one of the main characters. And this is a show that's got like, gosh, I don't know, eight, ten seasons. So I've never seen Shameless. So um, like, well, you don't have Showtime, right? I think it's on right. Showtime. Uh, but, okay, uh, yeah, I do not have Showtime okay. anymore. I had it for seven days. But, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, you know, a couple things in this episode that we'll get to. I, I think Walter, it's fair to say, sees a bit of himself in dr carson sure and that's really a fascinating scene when he you know you get, he almost gets physical with carson mm-hmm. when when you know, he, he realizes peter's in danger and then of course peter can sympathize a bit with tyler and sure. and, and you know fred brings up the scene in the strip bar and 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 certainly their conversations in the car and you see by the end where he's getting close to really winning Tyler over and and you know maybe we could argue the scene where he has uh Peter jab the knife not into Peter's leg but into the table and I, I think previously he you know might have yeah. had him Put it into his leg. So, yeah. uh, so is a, is a strip club kind of like an R-rated movie? As long as you get an adult to bring you in, you're you're good. I guess. And, and well, you know, okay. So now, now, granted, this was uh, network television back in 2009. It's not Netflix. It's not HBO. It's not Showtime or Skinamax. But obviously, when we're in the strip club, we only see the strippers you know, below the knee and her, her foot and all that. But of course, you know what I noticed more than anything in the strip club? Did you see Peter's food? Um, I don't steak and fries that looked 
freaking amazing. Oh. I'm like, okay, this is a strip club I'll go to just yeah. for the just for the food. But uh, anyway, we, <laughs> we digress. Shockingly, massive dynamic seems to be ground zero of this story. Right. And one of the things I jotted down: Do we believe Nina? Of course not. Hell no, we don't believe her. No. It, it, it seems she's at the head of yet another insidious experiment. Mm-hmm. So yeah, absolutely. And you know, we know that, or we, we I guess, don't. Well, I, we we do know because we've been told again here down track. What what has happened? What has not happened? But you know, uh, William Bishop. William Bishop. Uh, William Bell. William Bell. Sorry. You know, basically told Olivia, you know, there's a war and we are, you know, trying to fight this war and we're trying to prevent, you know, the one world being destroyed by the other and everything like that. So we just assume that, you know, I'm not going to say that this is a ethical experiment that they're running by any means, but we do understand that it's, you know, not to you know, take over the world or something like that. You would see a normal baddie, but in some way to try and save the world. Yeah. And, you know, when you talk about the ethics of the Tyler experiment, it's something else. It's Carson and some whatever the other scientists are. I've got it in my notes somewhere. I guess one question that, you know, again, it's important, but it doesn't get addressed here. Does Carson know about the other Tylers because we we see the file and I think we can speculate that there are at least five Tylers because we see three, four, and five. Mm-hmm. Fred raises, well, what happened to one and two? Well, I, I just don't think we saw their file. You, you know, I think it's in there now. Or they're, you know, in a wall in mass dynamics somewhere like this Tyler's getting well, 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 that's true. And, and certainly that's a possibility. So I guess my question is, does Carson know about the other Tylers? And, you know, and, and obviously each Tyler seems to be raised or have been raised by another massive dynamic scientist somewhere. So you wonder whether they know about the others. Well, I speculate they probably don't. And, and of course, Fred raises the comparison and how can you not to yeah, or- Orphan I, I Black. I have to side with Fred on this one, I think. Um yeah, I, I I think very likely Doctor Carson is up to this right up to his throat. Okay, so so you think he knows about all the other Tylers? I, I would say so. Yeah. Okay, okay, and and I don't really have anything other than just my my gut reaction to uh, you know take the alternative viewpoint. But obviously, we've got mind control. I say clearly, but I don't know what the other explanation is. But cloning. Oh yeah, yeah. Indef- uh, not indef- indubitably, yeah, <laughs> indubitably, uh, cloning is going on here for sure because it's like literally the same kid. Yeah, and of course, then the the final question, and, and you know, as we see Nina typing her message to William Bell, what's the purpose for William Bell? So, so we come back to what you mentioned a minute ago, and this coming war that the Cortexafan kids were meant to eventually fight. Is that what this is all about? Is this part of, you know, the, the resistance to the coming war? I guess. Uh, I, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> right. I guess. Right. That's, that's what you do. I mean, it, it seems like it is. Um, but you know, like you said, it does also speak to the general sketchy nature of Nina and massive dynamic. But yeah, like I said, I mean, I think we we know that William Bell's job, you know, what he sees himself as as doing, as as helping prepare this Earth for some kind of coming conflict with a enemy that is yet to be named. Right? We don't even really know who is the 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 enemy that they're preparing to fight against. Right. I mean, we do seem to have pretty solid verification for a multiverse and you know so we don't want to start calling them earth one and earth two and get sued by dc comics but uh you know uh, anyway (laughs) or someone on earth two uh writing us a nasty uh letter because um 
you know, they believe that they are being put into a subordinate position. Right. But, you know, are, are, is this going to be a conventional war? I mean, you know, we, because we see the excuse, and I'm making air quotes, that, that Nina gives for this mind control experiment, which is, you know, the, the ability of pilots to pilot their plane basically yeah, hands-free. Pretty, pretty feeble excuse to be running mind control experiments right but uh the opening scene and 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 again i i think they set this episode up beautifully because you know of course we think that tyler has been kidnapped by these two used car salesmen why would we not one of them has a ponytail man i'll get out right and you know we get the police I don't, it's not really a police chase because the car, yeah, you know, holding the, the kidnappers and Tyler is parked in the, you know, the top floor of a parking garage. The police storm in, get out of the car. And then, you know, the one of them, you have no idea what you're dealing with. Yeah. And of course, then when we see the officer take a, a, a dive off the top floor and then the, the female officer shoot her partners and then herself, well, it's like, okay. We kind of yeah. do know what we're dealing with here, sure. you know, on one level. Yeah, and this is this is a situation where I was, you know, most of the stuff that I'm seeing in Fringe, like I, like we've said before, it's been so long, so I really don't remember the details. But this one, I remember right away. I'm like, oh yeah, it's the kid, right? Which, you know, again, I mean. It, I almost wanted my brain to just shut down for a little bit. Don't tell me that, man. You know, but then it did give me. I was able to appreciate how they pulled it off, right? You know, because the first time I watched this, absolutely one hundred percent, I thought the kid was the victim, and these guys, you know, these sketchy looking guys, were the ones who were the baddies. And and, and you even see like when they're in the convenience store, on first viewing, you take as the guy you know, using his mind control on the clerk, but really it's a look of anxiety, you know, like he really just wants the guy to hand over the money and not make a scene. So that, that look on his face, which or on first viewing, we take to, to be him being the bad guys is, is actually quite the opposite. And, uh, it, you know, I was really able to appreciate how they did it because it is masterful. Uh, how they pull it off and how they make us believe that the two guys are the bad guys right up to that point about halfway through the episode where it totally flips. Uh, I thought that was great is just so really, really, really well done. Yeah. And, and Peter's comment at the end of the episode, I think we all, well, I shouldn't say that I shouldn't speak for other people, but certainly it strikes me as it strikes Peter that this kid murdered at least three police officers maybe four uh he put he put the two convenience store people in icu we don't know what he did before that because these guys have clearly seen something in and, and i think it's more than just the kid controlling them now i could be wrong but even if i'm wrong that's how many bodies, right. and as Peter points out, you, what's the penalty? He's going to have to talk to some shrink. Now, granted, we know, as you pointed out a few minutes ago, Massive Dynamic is going to pull whatever strings need to be pulled so that they keep this kid under observation and, like you said, in some kind of... Well, I don't even know if observation. You know, Who yeah. knows where that, that kid's getting sent? Yeah, you know, true. He's he's closed up, right, inside something like Right. Are they gonna kill him, cremate him, stick him in a freezer at Massive Dynamics? Well okay. study him. Yeah, you know, like who knows? Like they one thing's for sure is Massive Dynamic has absolutely zero qualms about using human beings as lab mice. Right. And that is really all Tyler is to them. So what are they gonna do with them? I don't know, but it doesn't seem like anything good, right? Yeah. Well, you know, we we almost get that scene, and we don't, but uh, it's from the X-Files, and I'm not going to spoil anything other than to say, it, it, I believe it's a season one episode, 
where the camera goes down a hallway and shows inside each of the different cells and i'll just leave it at that and and it you know it's i half expected to see something like that in this episode you know where we see in and there's a tyler and then we see in the next room and there's a tyler but you know they i guess just seeing the files at the end was enough but the team gets out to the crime scene with with the dead police officers and walter again uh, some great lines here i'm bored no cadavers at this crime scene (laughs) (laughs) okay and nobody bats an eye now i want to say nobody you know olivia or peter but yeah well probably his you know his excitement for human corpses was uh you know it's i mean i don't mean to say it like that like it's a necrophiliac but i'm just saying the fact that he gets excited about science and about figuring things out and the way he does that is by you know in the uh the, the the mortuary process here but now, like, as you said, like, they're so used to it now, it doesn't even surprise them anymore. Yeah. Or us, honestly. Right. And he's formed his hypothesis, as he, as he says, that subliminal suggestions. But it doesn't take them long to learn that the kid that's been kidnapped is the son of a massive dynamic aerospace division engineer. And again, all paths seem to lead back to massive dynamic, as Olivia told nina i guess back in season one and nina does tell the truth about dr carson's work just obviously not the whole truth and it was a great scene when walter just kind of abruptly walks out of the room which sends peter to follow him and it was really fascinating to hear walter muse about how much william bell has achieved and even though he doesn't say it we know what he's thinking and how little I've achieved. Yeah. And yeah. I, I mean, we know that's really not fair of Walter to judge himself so harshly. Yeah. I and mean, it's still hard to, to look at that. Right. I mean, like you can imagine, like he, he says, we shared a lab together. We were like basically partners in this. Look at what he's done. Right. You know, like, look at this. Like, you know, they had 37 labs here. Like Walter's just like, completely astounded by that Um, yeah so it's it's a natural enough feeling you know yeah and and then when he tells peter that it was william bell who introduced him to peter's mother and we're thinking like well given everything we've learned in the two seasons not really right (laughs) so he 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 introduced him to a uh, Peters. Yeah, he, uh, he he introduced you to the woman who raised you after the age of eight. Yeah. So, but you know, like we said, I mean, the episode, I don't know if it's halfway, it probably is about halfway. We're still under the assumption that Tyler is innocent. But then when they start learning more about the used car salesman, and, and, and again, I like the fact that, that they they talk about all the possibilities. Well, all right, is this a foreign spy situation? Because as we know from shows like The Americans, that that you know the Russians, for instance, they they're going to plant people in relatively mundane jobs and just have people blend in. We don't want anybody to be flashy. Just you know, yeah. be be that that uh, next door neighbor that has a boring job. So, you know, they, they posit that that might be the possibility. And then of course, the fact that this is the kid of ma- a massive dynamic engineer. Well, are they after massive dynamic secrets? And that's a totally plausible mm-hmm. premise to have. And in fact, as Olivia says, the $2 million is just a smoke screen. That's just a diversion. And right. of course, it's not, but, but uh, right. Well, it, it's funny. It was because they keep saying things like, "Oh, they have no plan." Like none of this stuff they're doing makes any sense at all. And Peter says the same thing with with Tyler. And it's, you're right. It's because it's a 15 year old kid who has this vague notion of meeting up with his mother again, who he's never known, and he has no plan. He has no concept of how he's actually going to do. He's just kind of shooting from the hip, as it were. And, uh, you know, and that, 
honestly, well, not that they would imagine, oh, this is just like what a teenager would do right away, you know. Um, but it is. It's exactly what a, a hormonal adolescent would probably do. Yeah. And uh, Nina says Massive Dynamic will cover the ransom. And, and you know, I thought she was going to, you know, send out an email to all her followers asking for donations because, uh <laughs> You know, as a billionaire, as a billionaire, I don't have enough to cover my legal expenses. But uh, hey, <laughs> a teddy bear versus mind control spies. Bad guys don't stand a chance. So Peter gets a great line here. You know, it's funny because I, I, we've said many times Peter and Walter seem to get the best lines. Yeah. Mostly Walter. Most mostly Walter. Um, Olivia's, you know, coming along, and 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 Astrid ha- has her moment in this episode too that, yes. that we'll get to in, in a little bit. But you know, once, as you said, uh, you know, once you see Tyler uh, with the briefcase running away, then I was like, ah, okay, yeah. And, and then of course he takes Peter hostage, and and how how perfect is it that the bishop family station wagon resurfaces i i don't know what happened to that uh you know black uh but gosh i don't know if it was a cadillac suv that they were driving or whatever but it was a uh, you know some nice wheels that he had the last few weeks but anyway um yeah they take well, they, you know they I guess decide to forgive the company car this week, right? But then you know that scene, you know, and and you know several listeners, including uh, Fred, have pointed out and and kind of come on board with uh, our really, really, yeah. <laughs> you know that that conversation, Olivia confronting Nina about the coincidence, you know, uh, the son and, and the doctor. That, that, you know, no, that that's makes perfect sense. But when we start learning about Dr. Carson and he took drug samples home for research, like, really? <laughs> now, not so much that you you took them home and didn't protect them from your teenage son, because I don't think most parents, you know, well, I shouldn't speak. I mean, obviously, I'm not a parent and you are a number of times over. I mean, do you immediately think your kids are going to do something bad if they have haven't already? So, you know, yeah, well, most people are just the opposite, right? They couldn't imagine their kids doing something bad, right? Know? Well, I guess Tyler might have found them. It's like you think. <laughs> so you know, well, you know, as it turns out, I mean, all of Doctor Carson's protestations of. Uh, love for his son and, and yeah uh, you know it's, it's all bs right right he, he's he's in on this too and you know and all of his like pretending like yeah as you said like you really you brought home like this experimental medicine and you just left it lying around so your kid could get to it like come on dude. well yeah but it even gets worse because we know that the experiment you know the drug is used to amplify the brain waves of the pilots so that they could operate the onboard computers. And Carson's like, well, how could it, you know, affect, you know, my son? It's like, Walter, it's like the brain is a computer, you moron. (laughs) And I just love that because Walter is just incredulous that this man could be so cavalier about his son's safety. Yeah. And, I mean, we know a lot of Walter's backstory and his history so i love this side of walter and you might say well you know people that live in glass houses shouldn't throw stones okay fine whatever but it just to me shows how much progress walter has made in in recognizing things that are important and should be recognized as important so yeah yeah absolutely right it it Especially, this is a good point to just reflect on what Walter was like in the pilot for Fringe, you know, yeah. and and uh, how much progress he's made since then. Absolutely. So you know, Peter talks Tyler out of killing that cop that that stops them, and of course the manhunt or boy hunt uh, is now in progress. But you know, I just love also in TV how you could people always just punch other people out like one punch they always always knock someone out with one i've seen it in, in like back in the 60s you would 
people would knock other people out by punching them in the stomach and stuff like that. You know, like that's just great. Yeah. You, if you watch enough TV, you think like you know, like just the boxing's got to be the the silliest sport ever because how come you don't just knock people out the first time you punch them, right? Yep. Yep. <laughs> what you think about that quick scene? when the team learns that special forces are going to come in and, and we pretty much get the idea they're going to bring in a sniper and he's going to take Tyler out, which on the one hand you think is the correct move. Sure. But Olivia's fear is that Peter could become collateral damage. And for those of us, as we've said many times that are, are shipping the two of them, is that a reaction to that? Or is it simply a reaction to, this guy is my partner. We've we've put our lives on the line for each other numerous occasions. He's family. Is it just that? Or is it a combination? I, it's a, it could be a combination of both. Like we've we've just getting the very briefest of first level shipping kind of going on with Peter and, and Olivia. You know, nothing's really happened yet. Uh, he has hooked up with her sister, but other than that, but I, I think, as you said there, you know, like these are they care about each other, whether it's romantic or not. They they care about each other a lot. We've seen that in a number of uh, places. But you know, this could also speak to you know some kind of burgeoning deeper level of emotion going on there. It's possible. Yeah. Now Olivia's asking Walter if he's made any progress. Nina's kind of hovering in the background, and then Walter utters that line that that again. I can't lose him again. Right. So, you know, you going into St. Clair's was him losing you. Yeah. So well, it was him losing Peter. Right. Too. Right. So we speculate what, uh, you know, but, but Olivia, oh, so we've, we've got, we've got the evidence. We've right. got the, the, the two Peters evidence in, right. in spades at, at this point. Right. But, the, but Walter is so terrified of losing Peter and Olivia steps in and really sweetly buoys his confidence because, you know, his fear is that, well, it's always Peter that helps me in these situations, and he's not here. And Olivia steps in, and while she doesn't speak Walter the way Peter does, she's learning the language, and she knows, I guess, how to approach him. And she learns that Tyler's mother is actually still alive, and then we get back to the you know, the meeting with the father. And, you know, on the one hand, it's fair to criticize him for taking the drugs home, leaving them unprotected, not paying enough attention to his son. Okay, fine, all of that. But when we hear the actual situation of Tyler's mother, I don't know. You know, it's easy to say, well, you should have told him the truth. Well, what is he, like 15 now? Yeah. Something like that. I mean, I don't know. That that's a tough call. That is a tough call. It's it, it's but you know, if we see it through Tyler's lens, it's not, right? Cuz he is again like a 15-year-old kid who's already angry with his dad probably for a number of reasons. You know, th- this just becomes especially a time in his life to find out something that big, you know, I guess we kind of understand uh his reaction there. But but again, I also see a lot of this is being happening by design on Dr. Carson's part and everything kind of working out just as he kind of wanted it to, or at least basically. Probably, I guess, the murder spree was not part of what they thought as part of the experiment. Well, right. And, and I guess we don't really know. I mean, we see the mother's reaction to everything and her defense of Tyler's father yeah, I, I th- thought it was pretty poignant. How much did she know? I, I, I mean, we know, you know, because of the clones that that they were all born of surrogate mothers. So was she the surrogate mother, or was she the adoptive mother? Right. Of right. Tyler, born of a surrogate. We don't really know. We don't know. And yeah. uh, I, I almost get the sense that she was an adopted, adoptive mother. But I guess it doesn't really you know it's not really that important at this point but we see then walter and astrid wearing the tinfoil hats as they're working on a solution before we move on just 
take I just step back with when Walter's concerned about losing Peter again. You know, the thing, the person who, who gets him back in the game here, who says just the right thing, is Nina, right? Nina's the one who comes in, and I can't remember exactly what she said to him, but basically... Well, you're right. ...gets him to, to focus on his work and not sit here and wallow in despair and self-pity. And it's just like, when we first see the scene, we're like, oh, well, that was, you know, that was nice of Nina. Good job. Wait, wait, get... And then at the end, we're like... Oh, well, now maybe at the end of this episode, we see it as a little bit more insidious, you know? Yeah. So we know they're working at Massive Dynamic and, you know, Walter and Astrid with the tinfoil hats. I think they're trying to read my thoughts, Walter says. And Fred mentions the camera going to Astrid, but Astrid's reaction, I forget exactly what she says, but it's like, yeah, I hear you, Walter, because I, I'm kind of... Well, she's got her own little tin hat on, right. too, so, and, and which is it, hilarious. You're right, but it, it almost transcends her doing it simply to keep Walter company so that you don't just look silly, we both look silly. You know, it, it's like that, that statement she makes that I don't trust Massive Dynamic either. Fine, I don't think the, the tinfoil hat's going to do anything, but it's a, it's a symbol of my distrust mm-hmm. for this conglomerate as well. But he's planning to use an EMP to, quote, crash his brain. Hopefully it's not an EMP of the proportion that uh, we see in, in Dark, Dark Angel. Angel. Right, right. Yeah, that would be bad. But you wouldn't put that past Walter to you know, um, accidentally end civilization by trying to take out a teenage kid. Yeah, who apparently tasers aren't strong enough to take him out, which no, I was he a little just shrugs su- that off, man. A little surprised, but uh, but anyway, uh, they get the MP activated. Peter crashes deliberately into a telephone pole, and uh, everybody's no worse for wear. Patched up broils and Peter have their moment. Uh, somehow you'll make it up to me. <laughs> and, yeah. and again, we <laughs> talked last week about the 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 relationship development that uh, has taken place with the two of them so this is just uh just i guess another step and then the great scene in in their apartment when walter's cooking crepes for peter who who isn't really hungry and you know again it goes beyond i mean the two of them are have really formed a bond i mean you know again i can't remember if we ever hear peter call him dad or father or anything like that you know yeah, he always calls him walter right? right so will it ever get to that point i i can't remember if that ever happens or not but peter tells him now i'm not hungry you're abducted of course you need crepes of course there's nothing post right. like a post abduction crepe right and then of course we get that final scene when nina's you know sending william bell uh a message on some antiquated computer even for 2009 yeah uh oh the penrose carson experiment one of the tylers and we're whoa wait wait a minute one of the tylers tylers, wait hello wait what (laughs) right so uh how many tylers are there i think we know there are at least five um and and uh placed with different scientists so uh you know what's she going to do with uh, these experiments? Is she going to call a halt to it because it's, you know, she's kind of been found out to a certain level. I don't know. You know, I mean, massive dynamics is so powerful. I can't see her feeling the need to really stop unless she sees the experiment as having accomplished everything it can accomplish. So, right. Well, uh, she calls it a success. Yeah. Yep. So, you know, there, there is that. Yep. So, uh, anything else about this one? I, I, I just have to put this line in there because I, I wrote it in my notes. I thought it was great. This was basically stories like an Oedipal complex on steroids. Nice. Yeah. I like it. <laughs> Even you see, like the, you know, the his mother's new husband. He's and the kid's just like, oh, I see who the problem is <laughs> yeah. here. You know, it's just like, like, oh man, like this kid's just the worst. So, uh, you know, honestly. I mean, I'm not saying he should be locked up in a freezer, massive dynamic, but you can't imagine this kid being okay as an adult, you know? Like, yeah. There's some very bad stuff happening in that kid's brain, um, and it's not just from the, the drugs he's been taking. Yep. That might be it. 
okay. me, I think. Okay. Well, let's get to listener feedback. We got a fair amount this week, and I'm going to go ahead and start with Alan Nixon's feedback. And Alan, of course, is in England, as we've mentioned before. He said he's finished The Last of Us recently, excellent version of a game I played back in the day and then had to play again along with the show. I feel Bella Ramsey already nailed the audition from her strong performance in Game of Thrones years ago. Um, You know, like a lot of you guys, he's a Picard fan, season three. Did enjoy seasons one and two, he says, but this season has that classic original series and next generation feeling ship totally in danger agree with that insurmountable odds triumph over the odds lovely characters ships old and new just outstanding he's also a mandalorian fan which remains excellent now i find myself saying this is the way when giving lectures about some methodology or system which i do for <laughs> a living uh and then he brings up and i'm gonna have to check some of these out a few time travel dimension jumping movies. One, he says, is Time Crimes, which is a Spanish movie. Lovely loops gradually building up in intensity. Antimatter from 2016, teleportation in Oxford. Hey, you got me there. <laughs> uh, lower budget, more indie feel. Eventually, I love it when we eventually catch on to what's happening as the main character does. And then 2019's Time Loop. Less intense, but enjoyable looping romp in the manner of time crimes with goats. (laughs) All right. A little bit of feedback from 506. I enjoyed the first part of Tenet, where it was mysterious and being gradually introduced. The scene with the car driving and that thing being thrown in or out. You could feel it was pretty spooky. The big battle was too much for me to follow, really. I feel the same about many big action sequences like in Avatar. Maybe I should watch it backwards. And I've mentioned many times, it's like, I like short, tightly choreographed fight scenes. I get the need for extended battle scenes in shows like Vikings and and Last Kingdom and all that. But yeah, for the most part, your comments on whether Fringe or another show borrowed the astronaut comes back to Earth with something nasty theme from each other reminded me of a british movie called the quartermass experiment from now he says 1955 i wonder if that was a typo i've heard of the quartermass experiment but anyway astronaut comes back with something very nasty indeed all right episode seven of fringe i wonder what the title means of human action and whether it's a fragment of a longer phrase such as consequences of human action or Similar, I searched for it and found a few scholarly articles and books with that as part of the title, but nothing obviously related to this Fringe episode. Another nice twisty opening where, firstly, we blame the hijackers and think the teenagers kidnapped, although he doesn't seem that scared. You can just tell the cops are going to shoot each other in some manner, although the first one backs over the rail, plunging to his death, which, you know, from a narrative perspective, I thought was, was you know, effective the way they had him kill himself in that manner because it really establishes that whole mind control mm-hmm. idea it's only marginally better than the architecture in star wars where there are perilous drops around every corner oh he mentions uh, who's responsible for that safety rail uh in the shop it starts to become clear that the teenager isn't just a bystander and then you get the feeling the two kidnappers are probably being controlled their violence is too cartoony for proper felons. Good point. You almost yeah. expect someone to be taken out with a giant frying pan <laughs> or the latest device from Acme as it's coming from the boy's imagination. Uh, it's a pretty standalone Monster of the Week episode, apart from the links between the main theme, boy missing, brilliant but distant father trying to make up for things, which obviously references Peter and Walter. And I've noticed that the main issues about or the main theme about sleep issues often reflects on walter and peter's history i thought the most telling quote was only half spoken when towards the end walter makes crepes for peter saying of course you need crepes you've been abducted and you wonder is he thinking because you know that's what i made you when oh yeah Right, right. I was reminded of an episode of The Twilight Zone, It's a Good Life, where everyone was controlled by a little boy, which was more humorously repeated in Johnny Bravo, Johnny Real Good. But in those two shows, the boy could do anything, not just control the minds of humans. So, all right, great stuff, Alan. Keep them coming. 
All right, who else did we hear All from? Right. Well, we heard from Suzanne again. She says, I wish you and any, any one of your listeners who celebrated Happy Easter. Thank you, Suzanne. Uh, apart from that, I'd like to give some brief feedback. I have two questions for you guys, one minor and one bigger one. Uh, firstly, indeed, how sad is the news about Lance Reddick way too early? I loved him in so many roles, and seeing him now in Fringe gets me all choked up. Yeah, I have to totally agree with that. It's still tough to kind of see him uh, out there. Uh, thank you for dedicating episode 504 to him. That was sweet. Then I loved hearing you talk a bit about Tenet. Not everyone agrees with you there, uh, Suzanne. But I know it got mixed reviews, but I'm a hopeless case of a Nolan fangirl and obsessed with that movie. Watching it in IMAX has to be one of the best movie experiences I've ever had. I own the soundtrack, and I rarely, very rarely buy soundtracks. The special DVD edition and the coffee table book, which is great. I mean, the quote-unquote enemy in the movie, and I don't refer to kind of the Brano's character, of course, has a very good reason to be pissed. Uh, and you don't have to understand every little detail to be impressed by the visuals like the fight scenes, do you? I totally agree. I've said that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so, yes, I will defend Tenet forever. Can't wait to watch Oppenheimer, which coincidentally will be released shortly before my birthday. So I now know how I will be celebrating. It's cool. I also want to give a special thanks for calling out stupid behavior by characters in Fringe because I hate that in shows and movies. And I'm always rolling my eyes at this. Exactly as you said, I keep mumbling at the screen. Have you ever seen a horror movie? So thanks for pointing out those really moments. I agree that Fringe has quite a few examples of implausible actions by people, but oh well, it's Fringe, so I can forgive it. I'm just glad that first-time viewers like Fred keep watching regardless. Uh, that kind of leads me to my first question, which would be for Wayne. All right. I agree with you in general about creepy kids and scarecrows. No way I would have set one foot into that cornfield in episode two. But I was wondering if you even find the scarecrow in Wizard of Oz scary. I don't know how weird it makes me sound that I think about stuff like this, but that particular scarecrow has always been the exception to the rule for me, so I really want to know. And she says, I'm not making fun of you, honestly. I, no, I, I don't think you're making fun of me at all. That's, that's actually a great question. Um, I would, I, I would say, have to say, no, the, the scarecrow in Woods of Oz is not creepy at all because he's, you know, he's goofy and silly and, and he's played like that right from the go, so we don't have really chance to be creeped out. I think just any things that kind of just resemble humans but aren't humans can tend to be creepy, but definitely not the Scarecrow in Wizard of Oz. Though if, if people were creeped out by him, uh, I wouldn't blame them for that either, though. Yeah, and, and I guess you almost really would have to try to go back to your six- or seven-year-old self and remember how you saw the Scarecrow at first because on the one hand like you said as soon as he starts you know pointing with his arms and one arm you know they cross right. and he's like pointing he goes one way then yeah, the other yeah, way yeah. Yeah. then then it's you know any you know i guess fear dissipates at that point but yeah good good point yeah solid solid okay so all right, now to the trickier question to both of you i was holding off asking because it might be a touchy subject but i'm just too curious so at the risk of getting banned i'll ask it anyway Suzanne, you, you probably will never get banned because we only have like a handful of people that contribute, <laughs> send us feedback. So uh, what is it with you guys and the show that shall not be mentioned? From the sci-fi TV rewatch episodes I've listened to so far, I caught a few hints that there's some kind of trauma going on with you and the show, but I'm not 100% sure if my mind makes it up. I was such a big fan back then up to that final season, which I didn't love, but neither hated as much as like many other fans did. I am just doing a rewatch of season five my favorite one since it involves my favorite sci-fi trope if you've seen it you will of course know what i'm talking about you obviously don't have to explain yourselves but would you be willing to tell me or in day's word what exactly is in, in uh, quotation marks wrong with you yeah so just, just real quickly if you if you are new to the podcast or you weren't paying attention you, we're talking about lost and it's it's you know our you know i don't want to say it's a running joke i mean because we're both serious in our approaches about it but we of course recognize that it can be funny from time to time uh, i think you have a much bigger problem with the last few seasons of the show than i do which i think is fair to say yeah no i uh, listen okay i'll say it lost it's a great show. The last, I would say, really just the last season, not 
very good and certainly did not stick the landing. But I still like Game of Thrones, and I'm 100% in belief that Game of Thrones completely faceplant on, on the landing there. The, my issue with Lost is just that there's so many podcasts out there that the people are obviously big Lost fans, right? And so everything that happens, everything they talk about in the podcast, they have to relate to Lost. As in Lost is like the, the, the fountain of all things sci-fi, you know? And that's just where my issue with it is. It's just, I'm like, you know, Lost was great. It was certainly influential, but not everything that Lisa Joy or Jonathan Nolan or J.J. Abrams or any of the people who were involved with the production of Lost. Blasphemy. Is, does not derive from Lost, you know? Um, so, and, and, but mostly it is a joke, though. It's, it's just, it's kind of like at first we started goofing around with it, and uh, now it's just, it's just kind of like a, just a running joke that, uh, that uh, Dave every now and then will taunt me by mentioning things from Lost, and, and I pretend to be upset about it, but I'm really not upset. It's just, you know, it's just for fun. So we're going to then cover lost season one after we're done with fringe is that what you're telling me uh yeah i mean i don't know i, I wouldn't be adverse to oh. back and <laughs> season one actually All season right. one was really good i actually used to show like the first episode when we were talking right. about like characterization right. let me stop English you here class. before you say something you're going to regret and okay and, and I, well no, I, I yeah i mean i, I wouldn't actually want and to i that, you know i do one of those where it's you saying i love lost i love lost i love lost i love you know but anyway, all right. Well, I, I'm not going to, I, would, I um, wouldn't say that, but I, I would, I think you already be did wrong for me to just dump on it and say it, it was a terrible show. It's not a terrible show. Right. This is a great show. Yeah. Obviously. Yeah, you know, yeah. Like there's, you don't have to, I don't even have to mention that, but uh, it's just the, the, um, you know, too much love. I think sometimes is, is thrown its way uh, in podcasts and everything. So I just have to read the postscript here. It says, PS great German there, Wayne, you're welcome. I get, the stuff that keeps the podcast going doesn't pay itself. Just continue podcasting, please. Yeah. yeah. yeah well, thank I, you, Suzanne. I, I think more to the point, I, I probably should start letting go of, you know, the, the lost illusions and really hammer home the fact that you haven't seen the entire run of the X-Files. But, you know. Well, yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll just see leave. that. You can get me there. Okay. So <laughs> we'll just leave it there. So, all right. Well, let's uh, hear what Fred's got for us and we'll be right back. Hello Dave and Wayne and all listeners to Sci-Fi TV Rewatch. This is Fred from the Netherlands with some feedback for Fringe Season 2, Episode 7. Great episode, I will give it a straight A, was even considering AA+. But I will explain that later. First coming back to last week's podcast. About the last scene of the previous episode where this FBI agent said that they sent the astronaut back into space. Well, in a non-verbal way, anyhow. I got the impression you thought I didn't like that, but what I didn't like or found improbable, the FBI agent also said he came to life again. And that is what I found very improbable, because Broyles shot him in the face. I know it's fringe, but even for fringe standards, that was just a little bit too much. I think we all three conclude that last week's episode was a bit... Really? Even for fringe. Okay, going into this week's episode, as said, I found it a very good episode. And that's partly because it also connects to the pattern again and to the alternative universe. But still, we have a kind of Monster of the Week episode, or I should say, Kid of the Week episode. Although, he was not that far away from a monster. That the kid was the mind controller was a very nice twist. I hadn't seen it coming. But when I saw him running away with the briefcase full of money, then I got some suspicions. But not earlier. Great was the way how they filmed that you fully assumed that these two car salesmen did all the bad things. And then Tyler was looking and everybody interpreted that as being scared. But actually he was controlling the whole situation. Great was of course the tinfoil hat scene. And Olivia says, please tell me you've got something better. 
to stop them with then what you are wearing. And then Walter says, well, this has nothing to do with that. They're just afraid that they are reading my thoughts. And then the camera turns and then we see that Astrid is wearing one as well. And that was so, so funny. So there is not a wide shot where you see them both wearing the tinfoil hats. It starts with Walter discussing with Olivia and then the camera turns and you see that Astrid is wearing one as well. Very, very nicely done. The auditive blocking with boom sounds was also very, very funny. Oh man, there are so many great scenes in this episode. Perhaps I should go for the A+, after all. I don't know. Great was, of course, the scene in the strip bar. Joshua Jackson playing Peter Bishop, as well as Cameron Monaghan playing Tyler Carson, did a great job. Really, really a great scene. Funny scene. At the end, we see it's again experimenting on children, and in this case... Not by William Bell and Walter, but by Massive Dynamics, which of course is the Bell part of the duo William Bell and Walter Bishop. We get a bit here another Walter effect, and I mean Walter White, of Breaking Bad, because he also started a company with a colleague and then... He was sold out in the beginning because he didn't think it would be a great thing to do and needed the money. And then the other one built up a great chemical imperium, of which Walter was, of course, quite jealous and frustrated about. He just missed the boat. Okay, going back to Fringe. If I see these children files at the end, three different Tylers they had... It looked also a bit like clones if you zoom in on the photos. So it's a kind of cloning experiment even. And that's always nice coming close to Orphan Black, whatever. And the files that we see is Tyler 3, 4 and 5. So what happened to 1 and 2? Reminds me also a little bit of the Cortexifan experiments. I wonder if there's somehow a kind of connection. Talking about identical persons, I recently got a tip from somebody to watch the documentary movie from 2018, Three Identical Strangers. So I'm very much looking forward to that. Did one of you see that? Okay, going back to Fringe. In this episode there are several hints again towards the idea that Walter can't lose Peter again. So I think we're getting closer and closer that the reality comes to the surface about that Peter is, this Peter is from the alternative universe. I think the minus point in this episode is the actor that plays Dr. Carson, Andrew Arley. I think his role was a bit overacted and a bit stiff. So we just go for the A. That was all for now. Greetings. All the best. Fred from the Netherlands. Fred, like you, is traditionally a pretty tough grader. So when Fred throws out the possibility of an A+, I think he ends up with the A because rightly so. He, he you know had a couple of issues that he felt downgraded it to an A. I was a little surprised that uh, Fred thought that highly. I mean, I guess I was thinking A, A minus. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's kind of about where my head is. So, uh, and, and um, I still haven't quite made up my mind yet. And maybe we'll just throw A slash A minus up on the, uh, you know, the, the, the blog post. But yes, the perfect indecipher's uh, <laughs> indecisive graders uh, score. Yes. Now, Fred. <laughs> the grade slash slightly lower grade. Right. Now, Fred mentions that it connects to the pattern. And I mentioned this at the beginning of the the podcast. And and I guess I'm thinking like, well, does it, are we then to assume that massive dynamic is and has been the driving force behind the pattern all along? And if that's 
the truth, then okay, then I guess this is part of the pattern. But I guess I haven't gotten that sense, and maybe I'm just missing everything. But anyway, well, like I said, I mean, my only like evidence of linking it to the pattern is the stuff that was in the previously on Fringe at the beginning of the show. Well, that's true. And, you know, now, I guess on the one hand, you know, was that a misdirection on their part? It could be. be. Um, The other thing that I have read about different shows, and I don't know necessarily that that Fringe falls into this category, is that the person that edits the previously on isn't necessarily the showrunner or even one of the writers. And said so that sometimes, because I've heard showrunners talk about that issue, uh, you know, that, well, you know, that's not necessarily what I would have put there or so. So I don't know. I mean, yeah, I just don't know. So, so we'll leave right. it there. I, I just, I just felt it was like weird that all of a sudden we're getting a retrospective of, you know, of like, the pattern of the pattern right here. Um, not weird, but I was just expecting, okay, well, whatever follows. And, and honestly, I was like, once I realized what episode was, I'm like, oh, there's not really anything about the pattern in this one, I don't think. I felt like this was just like kind of monster of the weekish type thing. So, um, so who knows? Yep. So, all right. Anything else about Fred's feedback? I think we talked um, about a lot of it along the way. Yeah. I, right. I think we pretty much covered it as far as everything I had. Okay. Well, we talked about our grades. Uh, we'll go with uh, A, A minus. Uh, Fred gives his. Uh, thank you, everybody, for the feedback. This was awesome. It's been a while since we had this much feedback to yeah. read back uh, probably in our Lost Girl days. Back in the... Uh, the blank girl days. The the what? <laughs> the blank girl oh, days. Oh, nice. <laughs> well played. Thank you. All right. Well, let's go ahead and leave it there. This has been uh, a lot of fun for sure, but that will do it for this episode of Sci-Fi TV Rewatch. Thank you for joining us. Love to hear what you think about Fringe, anything going on in your genre world. Check out the Facebook group if you haven't already. Sci-Fi TV Rewatch at gmail.com is the way you can reach us. Back next week to talk about episode eight of season two of Fringe, but until then. All right, Dave. So I'm, yeah, you know, it's kind of like you know, I'm spring break now, so I've like got some extra time to really kind of reflect on the show and think about like, okay, how can we make the podcast better? You know, so just start kind of making like a running list of things that we could like maybe add in or spice into the show a little bit, make it a little bit better. So I've got three things now, and then you know, um, maybe we can just kind of like start spitballing after that. So here, let me just give you the first three things. So I think the first three things we need are puberty. ADD medication and an untested brainwave brainwave enhancer. 